So yes, we wrapped up talking about 1 Timothy. And it has, I think, has been a really rich um, study in a lot of different ways. God seems to have highlighted a lot of like really just good stuff as far as about church and the nature of church, the mission of churches, all these kinds of things. And so um, what I wanted to do this week, I didn't have time to do it, but here's what I wanted to do this week. I got that going. Okay. So this week what I wanted to do is I wanted to go around with my phone or with whatever, just go to random people and say, hey, listen, let's do some word association real quick and say, listen, when you hear uh, this term, just tell me the first word or words that come to mind. And I just wanted to go to random people, and I wanted to do it in my classes, but it's like the week before vacation, and so classes are crazy, and students are nuts, and there's so much work. So I didn't get a chance to do it, but here's what I imagined if I, if I could have had the chance to do it, if I were just to go to Big Y, Walmart, Ocean State, you know, especially on the nice day, everybody's out and about, but listen, just real quick, word association, first word or words that come to mind when I say the term church. I anticipate getting answers like, Boring, uh, not relevant, uh, too strict, manipulative. Um, I don't know. I, you know. I kind of anticipate getting words like that and kind of phrases like that. Um, and I'm sure there's, there's others, but I kind of anticipate that. That's sort of the general sense I get just when I'm around just a lot of people that quote, aren't quote unquote church people. Just kind of the way that they feel, you know. It's just this institution has been around for so long, it's been so divisive, it's been so many problems, and then honestly, so many people just within this entire thing called the church seems like we just spend a lot of time fighting with each other. So it just doesn't leave a real good taste in people's mouths. And uh, I wrote this down. I said, you know, I think that culture already thinks that churches are at least as dysfunctional, manipulative, and selfish as every other institution. I don't think you'd get a lot of fight back on that. In fact, I think if you were to Facebook or tweet some kind of phrase that has something to do with the church being dysfunctional, manipulative, or selfish, you'd probably get some likes on that for sure. Maybe some of it is for right reasons. Most times, churches are spent arguing or disagreeing with each other or manipulating their power. And then my other thought was, there's an incredible amount of suspicion and lack of trust surrounding churches. I think that there is just a lot of suspicion, right? lack of trust. So what do they want out of me? What exactly are they trying to get? Um, And unfortunately, too many really well-known people of faith, they've just had some really unfortunate bad things happen to them because of the poor choices they have made, and in most cases, they've been completely hypocritical. So it's like they claim to stand and preach for certain things, and then in their private lives, come to find out over time, completely exploded. It's nowhere near matching up. Right? And now we have, we have these issues. And then, of course, that doesn't build on an already difficult environment for church. And here's what I think what a lot of people think about church. I think what a lot of people think, just conversations I've had, people think that churches only want to help or be involved if the church thinks they can get something out of it. 
which kind of stinks. And a lot of times it comes across that way. I remember one time we were uh, doing something with uh, a group in town, and they, they were kind of upset by the way that we were doing something. And, you know, their first comment was, well, you guys only want to do it that way because you're hoping to have more parishioners. And I was like, oh, my, that, that is so far from actually what we're trying to do and, you know, what was happening in that situation. And by the way, we're not parishioners, okay? We're members, okay? But I know that's like, you know, the term that's always used. So, when we, so that's the culture a little bit of what we live in, okay? Kind of. Maybe it's not a great summary. It's not totally exhaustive, but it's a little bit of a snapshot. And so we live in this culture, and then, so we live in this culture, but then we have, you know, church and our faith lives, and what they do is they, right, they, they, they come together, they collide. And so certain things are going to happen when they collide, and certain things are going to influence more than the others. And so when we have a chance and opportunity to read a book like 1 Timothy, what it does for us is it really makes helpful for us to refocus, to revision, to revisit the idea and the mindset of what church should really have as a focus. In other words, keeping the majors the majors and the minors the minors. And that's not always easy to do at all. So what I wanted to do, I'll give you a heads up of what I kind of wanted to do, was that I wanted to give you some highlights. So I think it's going to break down like this. They're going to, there's going to be a little bit of a teaching part for, I would say, the next like 10 minutes. Don't zone out for the next 10 minutes, okay? Please don't. It's good stuff. We spent a lot of time going through this whole book, and there's some really good things in there. So try hard. So that, that gives us what? Till 22, 12, 22. Don't zone out. But I just want to give you some highlights of things we've walked through together and talked about. Because the focus for this morning is, is to not really be just on one passage, although we're going to do that. After that 10 minutes, it would be more of a preaching part. But teaching for the more of like 10 minutes than the last like maybe 10 to 15 would be a preaching part. But our focus this morning is do like the, the thousand foot view. Looking at the entire thing as a whole. Maybe hopefully refreshing our minds and our hearts to places we've already been. So don't leave me yet, okay? Let me give you a quick overview. And I had to type down some of these just so I would remember. And it was helpful for me, you know, just to sit down again and be like, you know, where did we go together on this journey as far as studying through this book together? And there's probably even great value in you doing that if you wanted to. I mean, we've gone through 11 or 12 books together as a church family. It's worthwhile every time we get to the end be like, you know, where did we go together as a church family? What did we talk about? So here's some bullet points here. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to Timothy. There we go. Lori's on it. Here we go. One for one. Paul met Timothy in one of his missionary uh, journeys in Acts 16. That's where he met Timothy. And he was struck by his mom and his grandma. His dad was a Gentile. Mom and grandma were Jews. And he was really struck by their strong faith. And Timothy's like, listen, I want to go with you. Where are you going next? I want to be a part of this thing. He's a young guy. And so, whatever language used by Timothy, however he delivered that message that he really wanted to be a part of this thing, Paul said, okay. And Paul said, well, listen, if you're going to come with me, you know, we're about to enter some heavy Jewish territory, and it's going to be a stumbling block that your dad is actually a Gentile. So you're sort of like a half-breed. They're not actually going to take to that real well. So, if you really want to head on this mission with me to show that you're really for real, 
Um, you're going to have to like, get circumcised, and then we can go. <laughs> yeah, yikes is right. What young, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-old guys like, oh, okay, yeah. We'll probably spend a lot of time just trying to negotiate how that doesn't have to happen. But Timothy's like, okay, fine. If that's what it takes, then, then, then that's what I got to do. You know, so right away, you see from the very beginning, you see him coming from not a perfect home, a faithful grandma and mother. That should be encouraging to a lot of us parents, you know. It's just, it doesn't have to be the perfect environment for the kids to do amazing. And Timothy is an integral part of the New Testament. It's amazing, because mom and grandma got it done. It doesn't say anything about the dad. It says that he was there, but it's not referenced as far as him being a major spiritual component. Then, uh, Paul had sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus to help preserve, clean up, and better establish the church that's there. So the book of Ephesians, right? that's in the Bible, which we read together uh, a few months ago. It took us a little while to get through it. It's such a rich and good book. But that was the church that was set up and Paul had spent the most amount of time there, three years. And they're um, having some difficulty. And so he said, you know what, to Timothy, young guy, still doesn't have tons of experience. But he sent them away and said, hey, listen, I need you to go there. I need you to clean it up to prepare them and better equip them. So that's what he did. And Paul wrote this letter, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We didn't read 2 Timothy together. We wrote, re, uh, read 1 Timothy. Paul wrote those letters with an encouragement and personal aspect at the beginning of the letter and at the end of it, which we read about. The church in Ephesus, they were having difficulty because people were coming in and distorting the gospel, and people were believing it. So what happened was, Paul had been there with Timothy and a couple other guys. They set up and started this church. A few years go by, some other people, strong Jewish people came in, And they said, listen, we pretty much agree with what Paul is telling you to do and this sort of freedom and focus on grace, but you also really need to do what's in the Torah, what's in the Old Testament, what Moses gave you. You need to focus on circumcision being a priority. You need to focus on not getting married if you're really spiritually going to follow after what God wants for you. You need to also really watch what you eat Because some foods that you eat, that'll make you sort of uh, unapproved by God when you come to Him in relationship with Him. So these teachings, these doctrines were making its way into the church and people were believing it. And they're saying, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it was kind of flowing through the church. And so that was a big problem. So Paul wrote to Timothy to tell him how to handle that. These people that were coming in, they like to argue and divide others. So they would come in and they'd say, hey, listen. And it was interesting that Paul named them. He like actually put a name to them. Uh, Alexander, uh, Hymenaeus. There's another guy in 2 Timothy 2. There's a few other guys. He specifically names their names. He says, hey, listen, these guys are coming in. What they're doing is they're just being argumentative. They're dividing people, and they're just trying to convince people while they're, why they are right. And he said, man, the fruits of that are just, it's just not good. And he tells Timothy, he says, hey, listen, confront them. Don't be passive. 
be proactive about this. This is really significant and important. And what had also happened is because that false doctrine was coming in, the women at that particular church were also buying into this message. And so the women there, they were becoming very vocal and also very rambunctious about the false message that was being displayed. So it's like they really wanted to say a lot, but they didn't really know a lot. But they didn't really care. They just wanted to talk a lot. And they also had a really disproportionate view of how to even come to church. They would come to church primarily just focused on how amazing they could look. Extravagance in how they looked on the outside. And so Paul is writing to Timothy saying, hey, listen, like, here's how you should handle this. Here's how you should approach them. Here's where maybe they're, they're, they need to like, change direction of, of where their focus is. Right? And we read and talked about all of this. And then from there... Part of Paul's charge to Timothy to handle the difficulty with the women was interpreted three different ways. Right? So you have this issue now of women in church, and how do you handle that? And we talked about this. Because he gave some pretty strict um, words for Paul to give to Timothy. He said, listen, while they're at church, they have to be silent. They can talk to their husbands at home. And he said, they can't be a part of what's happening there. It's, it's out of control. And the way Paul's writing to Timothy, he makes it sound like, kind of like a circus a little bit, um, where it doesn't seem like it's going down real well. And so from there, many churches, they have to come to their own understanding of what they believe is being interpreted from that passage. And there's basically three interpretations coming from that, which we talked about. Three interpretations are, number one, Women are to be silent in a church service and never to have a role of leadership or teaching over a man, and this should be avoided at all costs. Some churches read that passage that way, that women are supposed to be silent in church, should never have any leadership or teaching sort of role over men, and it's always supposed to be that way. Some churches interpret it that way. Other churches try the second way. Women are to only remain silent until they get the proper theological training that is needed for them. In those cases, they may teach or have influence, but the elders will provide the primary teaching and influence positions at the church. So that second interpretation and viewpoint of other churches is, well, maybe for the women at that time, at that place, but hey, listen, maybe if they knew something, like a value, and they actually had some sort of theological depth and training and understanding, why can't they share in the church? Because actually what Paul says in his book in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, when a woman prays or prophesies in church... And then he tells them like, kind of like how they should do it. Well, the thinking is, if he wanted women to be silent in church, then why would he tell them to be praying or prophesying in church? So we talked about all of that, right? Again, all these messages are online if you missed any of this. Then the third way to interpret it. That the passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy about women in church was only directed specifically to those women of Ephesus, and women may occupy any office of church leadership with the proper so those are typically the three interpretations um, that churches come to when they come to this passage. Women sound at all costs. They can never teach. They can never do anything. That's some way some churches do it. Uh, other way is, well, maybe they need some more training. They need some, some better understanding. But they still um, can't teach or have some sort of influence. But the elders have primary influence. And then the third one is, well, listen, that was just for that time and that place. 
And honestly, now in the church, the women can do anything that the men can do, and so anything's fine. And so it just depends on what church that you go to. And it's not our purpose to come here as a church family and bash everyone who we feel interprets it a different way. That's what's very important. When we get together to conferences and we go to places with other churches, and when you're a part of different things with other believers in the body, the idea, the healthy idea is not to go there saying, well, we do it this way, and like we have it right, so. <laughs> We're going to get in trouble if we start doing things like that. There might be some majors and major in the majors. Like if we get together at a church environment, there's different things happening, speakers and all that stuff, and they're saying that Jesus Christ is not the way, the truth, and the life, well, maybe now you need to really start to like, talk with someone. Like, listen, that's one I can't budge on. Like, that, that's a non-negotiable. Whether or not, you know, you like songs from this worship leader or that worship leader, okay, then whatever. So then, Paul encouraged Timothy to find husbands and fathers with outstanding character to lead the church in Ephesus. Paul provided Timothy with criteria of what should be used and considered when looking for these men. And what's interesting about the men at this church, they seem to have an issue with alcohol and anger. And it's interesting how those two always go together, especially with men. Um, Alcohol just kind of fuels, you know, that anger. And unfortunately, so many times, you know, when quote, quote, a man is, you know, mad, um, especially after drinking, they just get even more mad, which is interesting. And that's mentioned throughout the book. It says, alcohol and anger seem to be an issue of the men of that church, and Paul charged Timothy to talk about that, um, even as Paul himself encouraged Timothy to occasionally drink. So he told Timothy, hey, listen, look for men of outstanding character, faithful families, and they're able to lead well in their home. They're pretty good prospects to lead well in the church because if they can't lead their home, they definitely can't lead a church. And part of what he said for elders to lead well is you know, they should uh, abstain from alcohol, um, they should be self-controlled, they should be um, you know, of high character like we talked about before. And what's interesting is he told Timothy, he said, hey, listen, your stomach bothers you from time to time, feel free to have some wine you know, when that happens. So, and he's not married. So Timothy's like not married, and Paul encouraged him to drink occasionally. But there was sort of a list that looks a little bit different than that, that Paul had given to Timothy, and that list was to be used as a guide for who to pick from. It's all very interesting. Paul told Timothy when the church meets together, it should regularly pray for the leadership of Rome. Very interesting. He said, listen, when you guys come together as a church, Timothy, make sure you spend your part of your church time praying for your leadership, specifically Rome. The same Rome that set up the Colosseums that was having Christians killed as entertainment. He said, listen, don't form some sort of civil rights group that's going to raise an uproar and take over Rome. He said, you pray for those leaders and you stay faithful to what Christ has called you to do. That's incredible. That's incredible. He also told Timothy to relate to the people of the church that their faith needs to impact their work environments 
in the correct way. That it should cause their work to be better. That even if somebody becomes a Christian, that doesn't then give them you know, permission to maybe work in a different way because now they're Christian and they know their truth and the boss doesn't. Or they know the truth and their co-workers don't and so you treat them a different way. Say, man, try and guard them from that. Or try and guard them from somebody then becoming a Christian and they have a boss who's also Christian and now they're taking advantage of work time. They're not being excellent in their work. They just want to be brother-brother all day. There's still work to get done. So he's trying to explain to them, Timothy, make sure to help these people figure this out, guide them down this path. Do you see, if you're Timothy, man, there's a lot to handle. How could he ever do this on his own and in his own strength? And I hope you say in your mind, he can't. Because then you'd say, you're right. And then you'd say, well, why? And I'd say, because the whole intention is we get called to things that we can't physically carry out our own ability and natural talents. So that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to get us where we need to go. That's the whole point. Paul also strongly encouraged Timothy to watch the purity of his own heart and his own doctrine extremely closely. He also encouraged Timothy to fight the discouragement that can so easily set in. So much on his plate, so many things going on. He didn't go to seminary or Bible college. And even if he did go, to be honest with you, you don't actually learn it until you're in it. So, guess what? Discouragement sets in. If you think discouragement is not knocking on my door almost all the time, you're crazy. I've just, thankfully, through the grace of God, I've just been able to learn how to stay close to Him to where it's not the primary influence on my life. It's still there. It just doesn't own me. Some days it tries to. And sometimes I I let it. But for the most part, it doesn't have primary influence. And Paul knew that would be an issue for young Timothy. So he said, listen, man, go after this. Fight the good fight of faith. Stay in that. Watch your doctrine closely. And then lastly, Paul also advised Timothy now to handle the rich that were a part of his congregation. There was wealthy people there. Wealthy people, kind of guys doing crazy things, women all over the place. Wealthy people there. He specifically, he charged Timothy with sharing the importance and dangers of trying to mix a lust for wealth with Christian faith. So the wealthy people there said, listen, they can be wealthy, they can have things, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Love of, lust for. The reality is God is going to have some rich people in His kingdom to finance His work and His purposes. And He's looking to entrust sons and daughters that will be good stewards of that wealth so that when they have that, it doesn't possess them, they possess it. And that was a major message as far as money goes into the wealthy. So all of those things, I went a little bit longer than 22, but all of those things were part of 1 Timothy. Just the highlights and the bullet points, and some of that should sound familiar. If you missed any of it, again, all of it's online. Really solid things. Here's some themes that you have all talked about that I've heard from you that you've said, hey, listen, this one has impacted I've had to think more about this. The Spirit has brought this up in my heart and my life. Here's some things that you have said. Prayerfully abiding in the grace 
that changes and empowers us actually keeps us more restrictive and holy than a forced religious system ever, ever will. Many of you have said, hey listen, if when I live in relationship with God and under His grace and I stay close to His heart, it actually makes me want to stay away from things more than if a church or a pastor or other people told me not to do it. It has the reverse effect. Because His love and grace and forgiveness are just beyond comprehension. That's one thing some people have mentioned. People have also mentioned, you know what, I really appreciate reading about the proactive leadership with divisive and uninformed people in church. There's divisive people in church. There's uninformed people in church. There's people that think they know a lot and they don't know anything. (laughs) So we just like to talk. And a lot of times people listen to the ones that like to talk because they like to talk. And so it's interesting. People have mentioned, they say, listen, I like the way how he was proactive. He went directly to those people. Right? He handled it face to face like an adult. Other people have mentioned, I really appreciated knowing about the roles and responsibilities of church leadership. For some of you, that was the first time you've actually really read through an entire book of the Bible, said, hey, listen, what does church leadership look like? Who are these people that God puts in place? What are they called to do? Where, where should their focuses be? Multiple people have said, I really appreciated better understanding the role of women in the church. And it's also very interesting, there's another Sunday where there's a bunch of women that said, you know what, it really impacted me when you talked about how for women, it's really important for us to focus on the beauty on the inside primarily because that will help make us beautiful on the outside. I remember that Sunday. I remember people also saying, I never really knew that the teachings of demons are looking to penetrate the church. That was another Sunday. Because we talked about how Paul wrote to Timothy and said, hey, listen, there's these teachings trying to come in from these people. And Paul said, hey, listen, it's not just bad advice. This is actually doctrine and teachings from demons trying to permeate inside the church. That just brings it up like another notch to a whole other level. Like, wow, this is a lot different than just thinking in the wrong way. There's another being at work trying to sabotage. Then there are some other ones. Some other good ones. Just a couple of other ones. So those are the places that we have been. Things that you have said. And I just wanted to close up this morning with that, Timothy, with that passage that Joanna read. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're probably already there. But let's read that. It's only a couple of verses. Because this all goes back to that question. Word association. When you think of the word church, what comes to mind? It's my goal, and hopefully your goal, to when we do that word association stuff, and when it comes to church and church settings, that a word association, hopefully, as we grow in our maturity that the words that start to come into our minds about certain things like church or worship or other things, the word association, the words are coming from the Bible. That would be great, wouldn't it? Word association. 
Give me some words that the Lord has said just from the Bible about church. Hopefully we have something. If not, I give you something right now. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Joanna read it. Starting in verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions. So this is basically, we figure out the whole reason why he wrote this book to Timothy. I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. We'll stop there. The whole idea that he's writing Timothy this book is because Timothy doesn't have experience with quote-unquote church plants. Getting a church started, equipping people that are there, and then seeing it come to a healthy place. He doesn't have any experience. So he gets a letter from Paul. He says, listen, here's the things you need to focus on. Here's what needs to be addressed. Here's what you need to cultivate. He says, number one, that it's a household. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Very interesting. When you look at that word in Greek, it means a home that houses a family where people reside. Household. It's a household that's very different than a business. It's a household. Family, family members. Family must be fed. Family must be protected. Family must be disciplined. All those things got to happen within a church family. Got to be fed. Got to be fed the Word of God. Got to be able to deliver full course meals that people can spiritually just sit on and feed from. Twinkies, like, don't last. Just a little quick cliche with the verse doesn't get it done. We need to be deep people rooted in the Word of God so we can know how to feast on it. And it should happen on a Sunday where you get fed. And all your feeding shouldn't come from a Sunday. But you should get a good feeding on a Sunday. If your feeding just comes from a Sunday, you never learn how to actually feed yourself. And that is atrocious. It's horrible. It sabotages us. So family must be fed. And, you know, I read a quote this week. They said, you know what, church? It doesn't just grow by addition. It grows by nutrition. You just throw more bodies in a room. You just got a bigger room with more people. We're not after that. We're after quality disciples, nutritious disciples that are healthy. Not just a whole bunch of bodies that just have some cliches that they live by. Family must be protected. Right? We have to protect each other. I hope you're looking out for my kids and my family. I'm looking out for yours. When I sense or just get ideas or hear things concerning other people in this church and things that happen, you better believe I pray a lot about that. And then if the situation needs it, I'll contact people directly and say, hey, listen, there's something strange going on here. You, just, you need to be aware of it trying to give you a heads up so you don't get sabotaged, so you're not taken back by this. 
Family must also be disciplined. There's the word everybody likes. Oh, I love discipline. It's a needed part of, of family. That's what makes a family stronger. Makes them healthier. Boundaries are a good thing. And God has set it up to where the local church, there's a disciplinary issue in place if needed. And I've shared with you in the past about how I've been in other churches. We've had to do some at our church here. Just about disciplinary type of issues. It's like, listen, this is the house of God. It's just not, you can't just do whatever. Especially if you're a leader. You can't, ah, yeah, I'll figure it out. No, no, you won't. So it's a household, right? It's a family. We join together. Right? We're looking to feed off one another and help each other spurn along. We're looking to protect and cover each other. It's a household. Here's what's awesome. Then, then look, here's the other word he goes. So I don't know if somebody said to you, hey, listen, uh, give me first word comes to mind, think of church, go. I don't know if anybody would say household. Maybe now you will. Household. That's pretty biblically sound right there. Keep going. Household, which is the church of the living God. Church of the living God. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, just means a called out people. People that are just called out from different places in life. They come from different areas. They gather together, choose to meet together to worship. Living is Zio. Look at this word Zio. It's almost like you could just stop there. Zio. To be among the living, not lifeless, not dead, full of vigor, fresh and strong. Paul's saying, listen, Paul's saying to Timothy, when it comes to church, it's a household, it's also living. It's not dead, it's not lifeless, it is alive, it is fresh, it has enthusiasm. There's something like with life to it. That's what a church family should be like. And it doesn't mean like you can have a vibrancy, a type of just Aliveness, that's not a word, right? You can have that without a lot of faked hype. Sometimes we think we have to come to church and if everybody's not like, it wasn't a good service. No, that's not. No. There has to be a sense that there's just a hunger for God and who He is in His heart, just a passion for going after Him. That's a lie. I was talking with somebody uh, or some people this week an older guy, actually, he's a pastor down in Texas. He's been in like 40 years, done a lot of things, pretty neat. Um, and we we're talking about church health, you know, just church health. How, like, a lot of you members, you filled out that survey last week about different things about church health. How could you tell if a church is healthy or not? And unfortunately, too many times, church health is determined by nickels and noses, was this guy's phrase. Nickels and noses. How much money you got coming in and how many people are there? And too often, those are the only two metrics that people say, well, my church is really good. We got like a lot of money and a lot of people. So, How good is your church? Like, I don't even know how you would answer that question, right? It's a little more detailed than that. And I'm not saying numbers don't matter, because they do. I mean, it kind of matters, like, how many people come? Are less people even coming? 
um, dear people, if people don't believe in what you're doing, they're not going to give. So that kind of matters. But those aren't the only things that matter. Do people in the church like spontaneously just pray? Are they showing transformational changes in their life that you didn't see two years ago? Is the Bible starting to take over in their thought life? Do they seem more concerned with going out and blessing those around them than with trying to get them in the building? Right? These are different ways that you measure the strength and the health of a church. And Paul's telling Timothy, listen man, this thing's got to be alive. That's the nature of who I am. I am alive. Trust and believe if we die right now and we go to heaven, you think it's going to be some kind of dead, boring, lifeless place? Just not, that's not who he is. So when he breathes into our life and we're close to his heart, he makes us come alive. And it looks different for each person. Some people are just naturally more energetic, enthusiastic, you know, they just, you know, it's all over things. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're alive, it just means they're hyper. And I've seen plenty of people in church settings try to manufacture hyperness because they think that's being alive. Just not. And I've seen, so also come across people that have to be very somber, you know, very holy. In the presence of the Lord, you know, and don't move and don't like. <laughs> like I, I mean, I sort of get that too. You know, I want to be respectful, but at the same time, like he's alive. We got to find right those places. It's important to, to see this. So word association, it's a household, it's a living, it's alive. Hopefully we'd use those words if somebody asked us. Here's the last one. Pillar and foundation of truth. Wow. Everybody say, wow. Wow. That's huge. Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, listen, should be a household. What was the second one? Alive. Should be alive. And then a pillar and foundation of truth. That's pretty heavy duty. I mean, listen, we all live in the day and age right now. Truth is totally relative. Depending upon who you are and what you think. It's sort of like you can kind of make up your own and as long as I don't disrespect yours, like we're fine. And the interesting thing about the Bible is that Jesus said, truth is not a set of ideas or philosophy. He said, it's a person and I'm it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's God incarnate. In Greek, it talks about making stable, to support, to anchor. The, tr- the church isn't the truth. We're supposed to stand for it, be an awesome representation of it. To say, hey, listen, is God real? Does He actually come through? If we stay faithful to what He says, will He actually deliver? It's supposed to be, well, listen, if you're unsure, go check out that church. You'll find out real quick. There's a group of people there, they've spent their lives giving their hearts and their minds over to the Lord and being faithful. Go, go connect with somebody there. They'll tell you a story. Because the, it's supposed to be a pillar and foundation of truth. It's not the truth. Jesus is the truth. 
But when the church gets involved with it, all it does is just point to him and just reinforce what's already true. Man, those are just three powerful words to use in association with church. Household. Alive. Truth. Here's what happens if we take these things lightly or we distort them at all. Okay, because here's the issue here. It's important for us to think about these things. If we take it lightly or distort it, the church will become a group of people who gather together and accomplish deeds without the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we can all get together, we can form a group. We can have awesome singing. We can have light shows. We can have smoke things. We could have cool, cool factor of a million. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we want. Yeah. Right? We can do good deeds. Wonderful. But I'm saying that that's not our purpose. I'm not even saying those things are bad. It'd be cool to have cool things. But that can't be our mark. That can't be our mark. Our mark has to be that that church, it's a group of people that, man, supernaturally, God just does things through that church family. That's bigger than a light show. And it's bigger than really good singing. If we take it lightly or if we let it get distorted, we can deliver the idea that accomplishing works in our own strength apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is the way we're supposed to do things. We could transform this environment to just be a thing like, listen, just grit your teeth, try hard enough, and you can make it happen. I mean, we're supposed to work hard and fight and, and grind, but at the end of the day, it should be, okay, we did that and we partnered, but then, then here's how the Holy Spirit showed up. Here's how He carried me. Man, it broke me in every way, but then look, look how He delivered If we take these things lightly or distort it a little bit, the church would become a place full of opinionated people who only include or disclude the Bible, disclude, probably not a word, include or disclude the Bible, depending upon how they want to use it. This just could become a group of people with varying opinions, and we only include the Bible when we want to make a point for whatever we want to make a point about. Pillars and foundations of truth don't do that. They say, hey, listen, here's what God said. Here's his heart on the matter. I want to just show you here. I'll show you in four other places. Here's his heart on the matter. It's going to cost me and it's going to cost you. And so it's important that we can't distort those things or shortchange. If we take it lightly, you distort a little bit, the church will become a place where prayer is only a method of verbalizing nice intentions or doing a religious ritual. Prayer should be a lot more than just verbalizing some nice intentions. If Eric's asking me to pray for him, I'll be like, yeah, I'm praying for you. I am praying for Eric if I'm saying I'm praying for him. I'm not interested that he feels my intention. That doesn't get him anything. How's that going to help his situation? might make him feel a little bit tiny better, but then he'll just become depressed about the other stuff. I'm looking for a breakthrough to happen in what he asked me to pray for him for. 
till the Spirit of God becomes alive and vibrant and more dominant than the issue that he's having. And we distort that truth or retreat it little. It's like, well, you know, we'll do some prayer things. And I'll pray for you, you pray for me. It's like, no, what the heck? No. That's not it. So here's what we can do. All right, here's what we could do. Hopefully we can purposefully choose. Everybody say choose. Purposefully choose to align our hearts with truth each day. Just start with today. Other day, tomorrow's going to have enough problems, right? If we can purposely choose to align ourselves and our hearts with truth today. Because listen, here's the reality, guys. We're talking about the church, household, alive, pillar and foundation of truth. Guess what? That's not some just like idea somewhere in the cosmos that we just sort of agree to and say amen to together. Guess what? That means me. And that means you. And then all of us collectively, we're called the church. So how can the church ever become those things if we don't let the Spirit build those things inside of us? Otherwise, we're playing games. And we're thinking we're doing something that we're really not. Are you with me on this? Here's a helpful question to ask yourself. I've had to ask myself this a bunch of times and I continue to. Where is compromise in my life making truth harder to decipher? Where is compromise in my life costing me truth? It's a question I always got to ask myself. And when I'm feeling really brave, I'll tell somebody else to ask me that. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen enough, so I still need to grow there. See what I'm saying though, right? Here's some good advice. Paul gave a pretty good example. Paul reflected on the grace that was poured out to him. It's really hard to get yourself in a bad place when we continually to put our minds and our hearts and thoughts before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that forgave us. We're going to do that in communion in a minute. So I just really just encourage you, but you know what? I'm putting my heart and put my mind just before His throne. I'm just going to reflect, Lord, on just what you've done for me. It just changes us. It makes us different. Two other questions just to close with. Is reading the Bible a necessity or an option in my life? Is reading the Bible a necessity or is it an option when it comes to my life? I hope so. You know, I hope so. But truth be told, for most of the years of my life, it was just optional. It was like, I I prayed the prayer. I go to church and I'm kind of around good people. So I'll figure the Bible thing out, kind of. And honestly, approach it for a long time. I'm not saying all of you do. I'm just saying he brings us to a new place to when we start to understand like, wow, I'm part of this pillar and foundation of truth. Man, I better know what truth is in my own life. And then the follow-up is prayer, a necessity or an option in my life. Right? Just good questions to ask yourself, think about, to reflect on. Because Paul said to Timothy, hey, listen, when we're talking about church, here's the deal. It's a household, it's alive, it's a pillar of truth. And 
the effect of that, of all of that, is incredible. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. We're going to spend time as they're passing out the elements, just thinking and reflecting on what Christ has done for us. So hold on to the elements as well. We're going to take them together. I'm going to pray as they're passing it out. Just thank God for who He is and what He's done. We're going to ask for protection for our church family, wisdom. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for encouraging our hearts and making clear to us uh, just what You expect, Your plan, Lord. We ask You, Holy Spirit, to truly build up a household here, a family where we feed on the right things, where our nutritional value in You gets built up. Build a household where we protect and cover each other. Whether we're best friends or not is not the issue. They're part of the household. I pray, Father, that you'd humble us as well, Lord. We all need discipline in our lives, Lord. And what disciplines need to be in my life, it will be different than for somebody else but I pray that we just come before you with an open heart and an open mind asking for you you to draw the boundaries in our lives, Lord, when it comes to substances, when it comes to friends, comes to relationships, when it comes to what we eat, when it comes to what we watch. Father, give us a healthy understanding of your heart and of your nature, Lord. We don't want truth to be filtered through our opinions and biases. We don't have it. And we don't want to pretend to have it. God, we want to point people towards you. And we ask, Lord, that you protect our church family, Father, from divisive people, Lord, from bad doctrines, God, Protect us, Lord. I pray that we'd be a people that would be proactive for the right reasons, Lord. May we not be known for trying to get people to think the way we think. May we be known to deliver the heart of love like we're called to do. There's no way that a group of people can be a part of your bride in a way that you've said you wanted it, apart from your filling, from your equipping, and from your carrying. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to just do that for us. We look to you for strength. We look to you for wisdom. We come to you when we're weary, when we're tired. We're always going to be going through things in our lives that will never change but we need to continue to grow. 
as far as how to deal with those situations, Lord God. Thank you for what you're speaking and delivering to our hearts, Lord. Fill us with the courage and with the strength, Lord, that comes from you. We know you'll do the heavy lifting. We come humbly before you, Lord. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So we take and we eat. And God, I just pray, Lord, that your word will fill us up and nourish every part of our, every part of our being, Lord. May it filter all things that come through our life, Lord God. Bring us into new understanding. Encourage our hearts. May your word become alive to us, Lord God. May a spirit of freshness just fall upon each and every person who decides to engage in your word and treat it not just as a book, but as words from you. Holy Spirit, bring fresh understanding. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we take and we drink. And Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness that covers our lives and pays a debt we could never cover. I pray, Lord, that you continue to do the work in us needed so that we will be just as forgiving to those around us. Even to those we feel like don't deserve it. They won't appreciate it. They'll walk all over us. It's a non-issue. 70 times 7. That's what you've told us. Show us how to walk in that, Father. We're going to sing this last song. It's only a couple of minutes.